You join me as we pray together to prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Lord, thank you that you have come as a conquering king, and we now ask you to very specifically uh, release your power amongst us in the sanctuary this morning to destroy the work of the enemy. We would just resist every interfering work of Satan. We ask that, Father, you will just take every thought captive, make it obedient to you, that the praises of your people that have filled this place make this a, a completely insufferable environment for the forces of darkness. We resist uh, every doubt, every distraction, even the memories of things that uh, have perhaps happened even this morning or the things that await us for the rest of this day. We ask that you will rob all of them of their power to interfere and that you will unstop the years and open the eyes of our heart to see and hear what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend to your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garment of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Last week we saw God's paint this amazing picture of an incredible glorious future that awaited Zion. Where he will cause his glory to shine upon his people with transforming power that they themselves will become a radiant community that will attract the nations of the world so that his people, Judah and the nations will together become a worshipping community that will glorify God and experience joy in the process. We also learned that the central figure through which this was going to be accomplished was this covenant mediator that God has promised that at the end of chapter 59 in these words, My spirit that is upon you and my words that I put within your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, 
Or out of the mouth of your offspring, or out of the mouth of your children's children, says the Lord, from this time forth forevermore. This unique individual, this covenant mediator, this arm of the Lord, who will accomplish this glorious future for God's people, now takes the stage and begins to speak himself. And just like last week, I want to say to you again, this is not a message of exhortation to ask you to do something. This is another message of encouragement and hope. It is to ask you to receive something from the Lord. Do what the last song that closed last week's service, if you were here, told you to do. Lift up your heads. Open the doors. Let the King of Glory come in. And we sang earlier, Hosanna, Lord, we welcome you in this place. So, welcome the Sovereign Lord, Covenant Mediator, as He takes center stage and gives you some gifts. (laughs) The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Spirit and proclamation, spirit and word, exactly the two things that God said in Isaiah 59 to the servant. My spirit is upon you and my words have I put in your mouth. And those words anointed by the spirit are good news. And the heart of the good news is the proclamation that the year of the Lord is upon us. Just as we sang, this is the day, this is the time, call it, this is the year of the Lord's favor. It's also the time, he says, of the vengeance of our God. God's favor upon his people and vengeance upon his enemies. But then it's all favor for a little while before we, until we get to the 63rd chapter. And there are many, many dimensions to this favor of the Lord in the year of his favor. Beautiful metaphors here. And as I just briefly describe some of them, I am trusting the Holy Spirit to already begin His work of application in your life. So that you can begin to experience even now the blessing of the year of the Lord's favor. I will spell out a little bit later in the sermon more precisely the bridge between Isaiah's words and our words where we are living today. But I have a feeling as I prepared this message that the Holy Spirit is going to run way ahead of me. And so I want you to stay alert from the very beginning. To let these metaphors sink in. First of all, he says, I'm here to bind up the broken heart. <laughs> a heart, the heart in Hebrew is the central core of our being. And so a broken heart, it refers to all kinds of damage. From emotional brokenness, all the way to the damages of sin in our lives. And everything in between. And he says, I have come to bind up the brokenness. The kind of personal attention that a nurse might give to someone when he or she is binding up some wound. That's the picture. The favor of binding up your brokenness. Then he says, I've come to preach good news on liberty to the captives. Captivity is a metaphor for any restrictions that is placed upon us by other people. Literally or figuratively. Some of you may be restricted by others these days. He has come to proclaim liberty. Regardless of whether the external circumstances or not. He sets us free where freedom matters most on the inside. I've come for the opening of prison doors for the bound. <laughs> he binds up one kinds of wounds and he unloses other kinds of bonds. 
And this word opening is used in prophetic literature almost always to refer to the opening of the ears and the opening of the eyes by the preaching of the word. So it is speaking of the divine illumination through the word that is proclaimed by someone who is anointed by the spirit so as to undo bonds that are binding you up on the inside. That is the blessing of the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, I have come to comfort the mourners. Three times the word mourners is mentioned here. That's the primary category he's thinking of. And in the context of Isaiah, this mourning is not just mourning for grief and sorrow, although that is included. He's a man of sorrow as well, acquainted with grief. In the context of where we have been in Isaiah, it's the mourning for sin. Remember 59, the vocabulary of, the, of sinfulness? It is those who have understood the sinfulness of their hearts and have begun to mourn over it that he says, I've come to bring you comfort. And how will he comfort them? It's beautiful. He says, I will give you a headdress instead of ashes. What a brief phrase packs in something so powerful. So I need to unpack each element of that for you. First of all, a headdress instead of ashes. Why ashes? People who mourned in those days put ashes on their forehead. And he says, in the very place where there is the mark of mourning, I'm going to give you a beautiful radiant headdress. Secondly, and the Hebrew scholars tell me that the word for ashes and the word for headdress have exactly the same Hebrew consonants in different order. So it's just an exact replacement one for the other. And then the word instead, which comes up three times here, means exact equivalence. And so you put that all together, what is he promising for us? The Lord's favor, that the deeper the mourning, the more beautiful the headdress. One is in exact proportion and in the same place as the other. The place of mourning becomes the place of gladness. The place of ashes becomes the place of beautification. And to exactly the same intensity. That's why brokenness and joy went together in Rachel's testimony. That's why the wrestling with the Lord is the place of experiencing the power of the Lord. Instead of mourning the oil of gladness. This is not so much the anointing oil of ministry as much as the oil that made a person's face radiant and shining. And a garment of praise for a faint spirit. Way back in Isaiah 42, the first servant song, when he said, I will not break a bruised reed and I will not quench a smoldering wick. Remember that? Faint spirit is exactly the same words in Hebrew as a smoldering wick. He doesn't snuff out smoldering wicks that have lost their capacity. He blows on them and fans them into flame one more time. So they praise God one more time. They burn brightly for Him. This is the blessing. And I trust some of you are already receiving it. The year of the Lord's favor. Binding up the broken heart. And setting the captives free. Opening prison doors. Bringing comfort for mourners. Gladness in direct proportion and intensity of the mourning. And as a result of this, he said, you, my people, will be transformed. You will be given a new name and a new destiny. First of all, in verse 3, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Back in chapter 1 of Isaiah, which was setting the scene for the whole book, it was a description of Judah headed headlong for exile because of a constant rebellion against the prophets of God. And God described them as oaks with fading leaves. <laughs> Go back and read chapter 1. Oaks with fading leaves. He said, now oaks of righteousness. The exact opposite. But the Lord's planting so that he may be glorified. The glory of a tall oak tree in full bloom brings glory to his plant and to his maker. He says, so that's the first one. You have a new name. This is your character. Your, this name signals the fact that I am making you a righteous people. 
And secondly, because of this, you have a new destiny. First of all, so write that down. A new nature, oaks of righteousness. And then as a result of this, a new destiny that has two parts to it. First of all, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Because of this work of this anointed Redeemer, who will minister in such beautiful ways that we have heard described in these metaphors. He said, long-standing damages that, are, that can be traced way back, generations back, are going to be broken and healed. How many of you need that promise this morning? And then more than that, he said, another dimension of the destiny that is outward. This, the first one is an inward repairing. The second one is outward. Strangers shall tend... Stand and tend to your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. And you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. So there's a new destiny. Priests and ministers for the nations. These outsiders who may have been part of the means of devastating you in the past. Will now speak of you as those who actually help them connect with your God. And then finally, he says, instead of past shame, rejoicing in this wonderful inheritance. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in the Lord. Therefore, in the land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting wealth. A double name. Oaks of righteousness, which speaks of a new character. And priests and ministers of the Lord to the nation that speaks of a new destiny. And this double name of new character and new destiny fills their hearts with great joy. This is what this unique individual, the covenant mediator, proclaimed as the year of the Lord's favor upon you. Now, 800 years later, many things have happened. World politics has changed. Babylon was overtaken by, Cyprus, by, Syria, by Persia, who let the exiles go back, and a small number of them went back. They were conquered in turn by Alexander the Great and Greece. And then after a very, very short period of independence during the Maccabean Revolution, Rome took over. And Judah was still in bondage in the land 800 years after Isaiah wrote these words. But they still worship in expectation. And one day in their synagogue, this is what happened. Joseph the carpenter. The carpenter. God rest his soul. 
Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to give good tidings to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to give sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. Today, in your hearing, the scriptures are fulfilled. Scriptures are fulfilled. <laughs> what must have been like to be there? <laughs> well, according to Luke, that's how Jesus launched his public ministry. Reading this text from Isaiah chapter 61 that we've looked at briefly so far. Just to understand what it meant in the original sense. Now in order to understand why Jesus chose that to launch his ministry. We need to go all the way back to the Old Testament to the book of Leviticus. There and in Exodus God prescribed through Moses several ordinances and practices and sacred rhythms. That would govern the worship of his people. Amongst them was the principle of Sabbath. First, there was the weekly Sabbath, the one day in seven when there was, they were to do no work, rest. Then there was the sabbatical year, every seven years, where the land was to get its rest, where there would be no sowing, no reaping. And the land would get rest. And then there was this, after every seven such sabbatical years, the 50th year was the year of Jubilee. And Jubilee was primarily released associated with it. Uh, debts were forgiven. Land that a Hebrew might have sold from his family to somebody else had to revert back to the original owners with no payment. And if even worse, any Hebrew has sold himself as a slave to another fellow Hebrew in order to pay off debts or whatever, they all were set free in that particular time. Jubilee was marked by these themes of cancellation of debt, rest, and release. And once in a lifetime, every Hebrew therefore got a chance to start life afresh all over again. An opportunity to wipe the mistakes of the past. Now most scholars have always believed that the year of the Lord's favor in the Old Testament was in fact a reference to Jubilee and the fulfillment of the real implications of Jubilee. So when Jesus took that text upon himself and used it to launch his ministry, it was I guess shorthand for saying that his ministry fulfilled the true blessings of which the Jubilee year was just a shadow. Because everything in the Old Testament in the worship setting was a shadow and the substance was found in Jesus. And so as we answer the question in the rest of the sermon, in what way did the ministry of Jesus fulfill the provisions of Jubilee? And we looked at some of these things two years ago in preparation for our own Jubilee, but it bears repetition in this context. As we unpack that, as we build that bridge from 
800 BC to now. I trust that some of those metaphors that have already been engaging you this morning will just continue to deepen and come alive as this anointed servant keeps doing his work. You know, yesterday morning at our elders' prayer meeting as we were praying for this, when it came to this particular, for the service, praying for the service, I was overwhelmed because you, you remember in that, in that clip, uh, somebody else was supposed to be the speaker <laughs> and Jesus came and took over. I just started crying. I said, Lord, just push me aside. I hope he comes here now and he takes over for the rest of this service. First of all, cancellation of debt. It was interesting that the Jubilee year began on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was that unique day once every year that even Jews today celebrate as Yom Kippur. When the Israelites gathered around the temple or the tabernacle and two goats were selected and the high priest killed one of those goats and took the blood of that goat into that most holy place beyond the veil where the Ark of the Covenant was, where nobody could go under penalty of death, not even the high priest, only once a year on the Day of Atonement, and only with the blood of this goat, and then sprinkle that blood on the altar, as symbolically satisfying the demands of a holy God as payment for the sins of His people. And then He would come out and they would lay their hands upon the other goat, which is called the scapegoat, that's where we get the English word scapegoat from, and that goat would be led outside the camp, and there to be killed by animals, symbolically Carrying away the sins of Israel was the day of cleansing, the day of covering. That's what Yom Kippur means. And then Israel would start a year afresh again. Well, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus fulfilled in reality what the day of atonement anticipated as a shadow. That in him, the blood, the goat and the high priest all fused into one. Good Friday will be focusing upon the suffering of Jesus. That was the sacrifice. That was the scapegoat crucified outside the camp. On him was laid all our sins. It was his blood that satisfied the wrath of God. And paid the penalty for our sins. And he is the high priest who comes into the most holy place. Not once a year. Not temporarily. But permanently. And allows us to come in with him. And so there's the first celebration of, of Jubilee that is fulfilled. The cancellation of debts in the in Jubilee was fulfilled in the forgiveness of sins that Jesus procured for us. There might be some of you here today who need that blessing. Maybe you're laboring under a conviction of some specific violation of God's commandment that you haven't yet dealt with. Maybe nobody knows but you. Or maybe as one individual shared with me this week, it was no specific sin, but just a reminder through the particular circumstances he found himself in of the sinful tendencies that were buried deep in the heart, even where no action was committed. If in either, of the, either one of those ways you are experiencing that, just receive the blessing. Your anointed one says to you this morning, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Receive the blessing this morning. Now how about the jubilee promise of rest for the weary? Now there's one sense of course in which this forgiveness of sins alone brings rest. You know when I've done something wrong to get my wife upset with me and our relationship is not restored, I feel restless. But when I can confess that and acknowledge it and she forgives me or vice versa, there's a wonderful rest that comes into our relationship. 
And so there is a sense in which rest comes along as the, as the deaths are cancelled. But there's more to it than that. Matthew 11:28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. These verses speak to me not so much of the rest that comes inherently with the forgiveness of sin, but the rest that comes from the power of sin broken in our lives. And how do we get that rest? He says, learn from me. There's something he wants to teach us that will make for rest in our souls. He refers to his gentleness, which is meekness, the word trying meekness, and his lowliness or his humility. It is as we learn from Jesus how to be humble and meek people that a kind of rest begins to enter our souls. Let me just unpack. There are probably two whole sermons in themselves. But today I just want to indicate to you how this easy yoke of humility and meekness brings rest to our souls. First of all, the opposite of humility is pride. And one of the characteristics of pride is always leaves you restless. Because pride is focused on clamor for recognition, approval and vindication. That clamor for recognition is always making us push ourselves or finding schemes by which we can advance ourselves. The desire for vindication is always making us wonder, how can I make myself win this argument? And because we don't in most cases, we get irritated, frustrated. We lay, it can keep us awake at night, fuming over real or imagined frustrations of our desire for recognition, approval, vindication. We get restless when we are criticized, when we are passed over, when we are forgotten, when the honor we think that is due us is not given to us, mostly from those closest to us. Jesus, I want to give you rest from all of that. So you can sleep well when you don't get recognized. Learn humility from me. Now how was he humble? Philippians chapter 2 tells us that. He didn't clutch onto what was his. He held it loosely. He didn't grasp for what was not his. He waited for God to give it to him. And he never used his powers to exploit for his own purposes, but he served. That's the essence of this mindset of Jesus. A refusal to clutch, grasp and exploit, but instead to serve. He said, learn from me and you will get rest for your souls. And then gentleness, that has to do with the meekness, that has to do with the emotion of anger. And anger is right when it Think that anger the heart of God. What Rashal talked to you about should make us angry. But there's another kind of anger. That is anger when our honor is at stake. When, when pride unsatisfied begins to fume against the people that are responsible. For withholding the recognition, the approval and the vindication. The best one sentence definition of meekness I think is biblical is, is this. It is the ability to be angry with the right people for the right reason for the right amount of time. Now, you know Jesus knew exactly when to be angry. In fact, Palm Sunday, the day after that, he goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple. The outer courts, the court of the Gentiles, which is full now of marketing bins that kept the Gentiles from worshipping Jehovah. And he was furious. But a few days later, when false accusations were being piled against him, when Pontius Pilate was saying, say something in your defense. I want to let you go. Open your mouth and I'll let you go. He didn't say anything. 
He absorbed all of that. That's the easy yoke. What if we could live like that? What if refusing to clutch, grasp and exploit, we also were only blazingly angry at the things that angered the heart of God and when we were criticized, let God be our defender. Can you imagine the rest that would come? That's what he's love. So some of you here need that this morning. Probably all of us need it. Are there any time, anything in your life right now where recognition, approval and vindication denied is keeping you restless? Where anger at the wrong things, your own honor being denied is keeping you restless? Why not receive the easy yoke from him? He came to give you that. It's the year of the Lord's favor. Receive rest. And then thirdly, there was one other dimension. So write that down. Rest for the land was rest from the land was fulfilled in receiving Jesus' yoke of humility and gentleness. So cancellation of debt, rest for the land. How about release? Release from bondage. The economic bondage of land having been sold, the personal bondage of being sold into slavery. How did Jesus fulfill this provision of Jubilee, release from bondage? Well, the interesting thing that struck me yesterday, for the first, a fresher to say, because in my Bible readings I happened to be in Luke's Gospel, and do you know that just before that text that describes him going to the synagogue and speaking from Isaiah 61, do you know what are the 12 verses before that? He's battling with the devil in the wilderness. And putting those two together is powerful. It just says to me that one of the ways in which the year of the Lord's favor is coming upon his people is that he has defeated the devil and he's able to break the power of the enemy in our lives. And so the first and most dominant way I think in which the release provisions of Jubilee are fulfilled in the life of Jesus is released from demonic oppression of various kinds. And of course we read many of them in the scriptures. This morning in my Bible reading for today I read two of them. And then, of course, the second bondage was physical healing. The healing people, he set them free. He's referring to that woman who was bent over for 18 years. He said, shall not this daughter of Abraham go free? Physical healing was freedom as well from that bondage. But thirdly, perhaps that which captures the heart of Jubilee provision better than anything else, and not surprisingly, most relevant to most of us today, was released from the power of materialism. You see, the whole jubilee provision required faith from God's people in the realm of economics. When he said to them, don't plant for all of the seventh year, he said, you're going to ask, what are we going to eat? (laughs) He said, don't worry, I'll give you so much in the sixth year that you'll have enough for the sixth, seventh and eighth years. So it it became an issue of faith. If we will not stand firm in faith, we won't stand firm at all. And that's exact. But they never obeyed it. Jubilee provisions were largely ignored. As was Sabbath breaking. Because you see, they were both a call to faith. To stop doing so. And trust God to do. For God to provide. There was a powerlessness of the old covenant. That's why he said the year of the Lord's favor has come. I will enable you to do what you couldn't do before. And when you read the book of Acts, you will find this is one of the first marks of the Holy Spirit coming upon the people. A spontaneous generosity. Where people who had land sold their lands and gave it to those who had none. So there was no poor amongst them. Deuteronomy, Jubilee provisions was fulfilled for the first time, literally. 
But the interesting thing is how it didn't happen. It didn't happen by communism. By a forced redistribution of wealth. And we're hearing a lot of that south of the border these days. Nor did it happen by God's command like in the Old Testament which was disobeyed. No, it happened by a spontaneous work of the Holy Spirit because of the work of this anointed servant to unbind what binds us on the inside. This is the freedom of captivity that many of us need in North America. And it sets us free. Paul captures the essence of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 11 to 14. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way things will be equal. You see, in, in the Jubilee year, or the year before Jubilee, this abundance came upon the whole community. God said, because they were all doing the same thing. They were all an agricultural community. All of them were farming. And so God said, to all, I'm going to bless all of you with so much. Today, in a non-agrarian society that we're living in, he doesn't, sometimes he can bless a whole church. But largely it doesn't happen. Largely what he does that within a church community like this, some people are blessed with a lot. The abundance is more focused. And God is calling those people. And says, I will enable you to use that to bless others. So that your plenty can bless them. And their plenty in other ways can bless you. So that there might be equality. So thus, just in this way, Jesus fulfilled Isaiah chapter 61. The cancellation of debt was fulfilled in the cancellation of the debt of sin. Of forgiveness of sin. The jubilee blessing of rest for the land was the rest of Jesus' easy yoke of humility and meekness. And the release provisions from bondage was fulfilled in the breaking of the power of the enemy, physical healing and release from materialism. So I'm going to ask you for a few more minutes. There might be some of you here who need to receive something in these lines. Some of you need to receive the power of Christ in your life to break the power of Satan. I needed it this morning. Because last night, for some reason, as I was preaching, I just felt an incredible constraint in my spirit. I felt no freedom as I was preaching. I don't know why. you know. And so this morning, I, I couldn't wait to get alone to the study. And I asked the Lord to break the power of the enemy this morning. Whether in me or in here, I don't know what it was. So there might be some of you who need that. You know, you're not possessed, oppressed and all those kinds of things. But you know, he accuses you sometimes. Or you're aware, you're aware of bondage in somebody's life that is close to you, dear to you. You may be aware of these long-standing bonds from the past that you're never able to break. Or receive. It is a year of the Lord's favor. He has broken the power of the enemy. Receive that from him. Some of you maybe need physical healing. And of course, I cannot promise you that healing. Jesus didn't promise you that. But what we can do is we, have, we are all children who can ask him for it. It's called children's bread. I ask God all the time. For people in that area. Ask. And then probably most of us. Where are you experiencing the bonding, the binding grip of materialism? The fear of the future. The fear of not having enough. I'm thinking of someone today. That I know. Who is just unable to move ahead in any dimension of their life. Because they are crippled by the fear of the future. 
in this realm. This is the year of the Lord's favor. <laughs> He's coming to bless you. Will you receive this from him, freedom in this day? Let's pray again. I just want you to step into this pulpit again, Jesus. I don't care if every single word that I've spoken here this morning is forgotten by our people in a few moments. I want them to hear you say again, today, in your hearing, these scriptures are fulfilled. And let the weight of that awesome declaration penetrate deep into the regions of their lives where they need to hear good news in their poverty. Let it penetrate those regions of their lives where they need to be liberated. And eyes and ears opened by divine illumination to break bonds that are on the inside. Take those bandages and bind up gently, lovingly the broken hearts in our midst. In full measure of total equivalence, Lord, take away, wipe away the ashes and put upon them a crown of joy and gladness. Make their faces radiant with the oil of gladness. Let faint smoldering wicks once again feel the breath of your spirit upon them and may they flame again, Father, with praise. Take fading oak leaves and make them oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Let them catch a vision of a new destiny as priests and ministers that will be the instrument of introducing others to your worship and to your praise. Break the power of cancelled sin. Lower upon us the easy yoke of humility and meekness. Utterly destroy the work of the enemy. Bring healing and strength to weary bodies. And Give us a wonderful freedom of faith and trust in your ability to provide that our plenty in every area of our lives might bless others who need us. In Jesus' name. Amen. The other thing from these texts, especially the last two, three weeks, that has really gripped my heart is that this uh, promise of the Spirit and the Word on the covenant mediator was not just for him, but it was for his offspring and for his offspring's offspring as well. It has moved me regularly for the last two or three weeks. Someone do a blessing in a very different way. Rishal, can you just come here for a minute? It's so appropriate that she was sharing today. Rishal is the same age as my son Vijay. And they grew up together in this church. I remember as a little girl, he was coming up here and singing. And I saw her and said, I have any idea then of what God was going to do through her and through my son and through your children. We have no idea today of the blessing that the God has in mind for our children and our children's children. So today I want you to receive a blessing on behalf of your children and your children's children. And if you don't have children, you've got nieces, nephews, other children that you work with. And so this is my blessing. This is the oak of righteousness that gives you vision. What they will do will not be what she will do. They'll be unique in their own way. 
But this is a testimony, the planting of the Lord that God may be glorified. And so I bless your offspring and your offspring, offspring, that each one of them will be oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. (laughs) And they will be priests and ministers to the nations of the world. May you be sustained in hope and may your hearts overflow with joy at that prospect. And may you pray those visions into being. Go in Jesus' name.